At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Matt Gordon to talk about his experience with Rogue Farm Corps and Cully Neighborhood Farm. Originally from Eugene, Oregon, Matt grew up helping his parents in the family vegetable garden and has always had an affinity for soil. How cool is that? He has worked as a garden and environmental educator for many Portland, Oregon organizations, including Growing Gardens and Tryon Life Community Farm. In 2008, Matt shifted focus and devoted his time to organic annual vegetable production, working with Meriwether's Restaurant on their Skyline Farm, and then on his own farm business, the Urban CSA from Cully Neighborhood Farm. In 2014, he also became the Portland Chapter Coordinator for Rogue Farm Corps, a nonprofit dedicated to training the next generation of farmers through hands-on farm internships in Oregon. Matt loves discovering delicious vegetable varieties and helping develop a new crop of young farmers. Welcome to the show today, Matt. Thanks so much, Craig. Glad to be here. Absolutely. I'm so glad you're here. So I just shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get to where you're at now? Sure. I'll, I'll do my best there. Um, so like you mentioned, uh, I'm from Oregon and I grew up kind of in a you know, like a small hippie college town, Eugene, Oregon. And there was lots of great things going on in this arena already with an amazing farmer's market. Um, and my parents love to work outside. So I had sort of some uh, steps in the right direction, I feel like, when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really know that much about gardening and growing things. I mean, I had a little exposure. Um, and I went off to college in Ohio, did environmental studies, and kind of saw all the, the details of all the negative impacts we're having on oh, our yes. environment. Yeah, there is that. Uh, yeah, so um, got pretty impassioned, and but I still didn't know exactly where I wanted to fit into trying to create solutions to those things. Right. Um, but I did want to return to Oregon, so I, I came back and moved to Portland in 2002 and uh, did an AmeriCorps year with um, oh, nice. doing education with, with kids around uh, uh, restoration, um, gardening, water quality testing, mm-hmm. lots of different things. How cool um, is that? So, Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And That's... it was fun to kind of get my... My uh, my toes dipped into a lot of different environmental oh, type work. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, and then from there, I moved on to focus more on the gardening side, but still in education with Growing Gardens, which is a local nonprofit here that does a lot of great work. But I was doing specifically the um, children's garden programming that mm-hmm. they that they do after school gardens and such. 
Um, and so, you know, working with kids was new to me, but also gardening was new to me. So I was learning a ton and also having home gardens for the first time in my life. And that really caught me. I really loved oh, yes. just trying things on my own and seeing what I could grow. And of course, you know, most of my first gardens, there were way more failures than successes. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I understand that one. Yeah, but you know, but those are great because as long as you're paying attention, you really learn a lot from it. So um, I, you, I kind go ahead. I, I, I want to ask you said something curious. I want to ask you about it. Said, and I want because I want I want you to say more about that. You said if you're paying attention, say more about that. Well, sort of like life, right? If you're paying attention when things go wrong, mm -hmm. and you take a moment to reflect, um, then those mistakes can really inform you know, the future course that you take. So, um, and especially as gardeners and as farmers, paying attention is like your primary job. Your right. observation is really your best tool to have in your pocket. Um, mm -hmm. So honing that every season, every year, every day that you're in the garden um, just helps so much. I mean, they say, you know, there's that old saying, like the farmer's feet are the best fertilizer. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, because yes. you're if you're walking out in your fields or your gardens, you're noticing things that are going on. Mm -hmm. And then you can actually do things about them if there's things that are not going so well. If right. you just sort of plant things and leave them alone, then you know, obviously you're not going to get as great results. So paying attention, being consistent with your, you know, uh, what you do in your garden and that kind of thing is, is very helpful. I mean, that's kind of goes with for life, I guess, in general. Too. Yeah, it really does. It really is. And sorry, I, I jumped in halfway through your story. So, oh, no, carry that's on. okay. Um, so, I, I guess I got pretty um, inspired to do more of the growing side of things and less of the education side of things. I liked working with kids, but I didn't feel like I was maybe the best person to really do that full time. Uh -huh. um, so I, I got I took a permaculture course in Eugene um, with oh, Jude wow. Hobbs and Toby Hemingway. Oh my gosh! Um, great teachers. Great, great teachers. Yes, absolutely. And then I uh, moved into an intentional community in Portland called Tryon Life Community Farm um, that had just bought this seven-acre parcel uh, that was going to be developed into twenty homes, uh, but they basically saved it from development and um, are still creating a kind of intentional community, permaculture, teaching site, mm -hmm. uh, all these kind of things. Wow. Uh, and so I lived there for two years, and I was one of the main gardeners there, and I did some youth education work there as well. Um, and it's nestled right into the uh, Tryon Creek State Park, which is one of the largest um, uh, state parks in the city. Uh, so it's still in the city of Portland, mm -hmm. but it's I think it's about 750 acres of uh, wow. really beautiful forest. And this little seven acres is right on the edge of it. So it's quite a unique site being still in the city. You really feel like you're in the woods. Hmm, so nice. that was kind of a magical time in my life. But at the same time, the community living aspect, um, you know, it has its challenges and I learned a lot from it. But mm -hmm. uh, eventually I, I really kind of kept honing in on what I wanted to do and, and I really wanted to get more into how can I grow more food more efficiently. Right. And so I... I got a job on a farm, a vegetable farm, that was owned by a restaurant, Merriweather's Restaurant in Portland. Mm -hmm. um, and they own their own farm, and they produce as much of their own vegetables as they can nice. from that farm property. Yeah. I got to um, learn from some great uh, farmers who were managing that piece of property. Um, I was you know, hired on as general farm laborer at first, and then 
worked my way up into assistant manager and then manager after uh, five, uh, you know, four to five years mm-hmm. of, during my time there. And I just loved it. I fell in love with farming and growing vegetables on a more production scale. And, um, you know, I know that's not for everybody, but for me, it really just hit home that I, I love being out here doing this, uh, this labor, this, uh, this hand, hands-on work. Um, you just get into nice rhythms with working with people, being able to chat in the field, but also right. you really feel productive. And that's mm-hmm. something that really, I guess, uh, I don't know, drives who I am. I, I like that feeling of feeling like I'm getting a lot done right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I was there for five years. And the other thing, I think a lot of people get burned out when they work, when they try working on a farm because it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. <laughs> Lots of, lot, many hours. Yes. Um, but I was only working three days a week and that's how we kept that farm schedules three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And mm-hmm. so it, it was, had that ability to kind of let you explore other things during your other time. And for me, I was exploring <laughs> more farming. I was starting my own farm business in, in town. Um, the farm was a little bit outside of town, but mm-hmm. I was still living in town and started my own farm with a friend on an empty urban a uh, lot of uh, about one acre that's owned by a church, and that oh, wow. is became Cully Neighborhood Farm, which is still going today. Nice. Um, I transitioned off the restaurant farm, and for the past five years or so, I guess this was our sixth season at Cully Neighborhood Farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first couple years was just part time, and then I went full time. Since 2012, I've been running a CSA there, which. Um, I think probably most of your listeners know what that is, but it's. I was going to say, jump in and let, say a little bit about that, and tell us about yours. Just what is the CSA, and tell us about yours. Sure. Um, so CSA is stands for Community Supported Agriculture, and it's a form of where uh, eaters and consumers of food can support a particular farm operation with an advance payment for future product from that farm. So cool. It really helps build that relationship between eater and farmer and mm-hmm. it helps the farmer to have that financial security up front in the season when normally there's a lot of farm expenses but not a lot of farm income because they haven't actually produced the um, the things that they're growing yet. Yeah, so yeah. Um, oftentimes, you know, for a vegetable CSA, you start signing people up in January, February, receiving payments then, but you're not delivering them produce until say mid-May or June so it really helps bridge that financial gap oh um, nice and it's it's kind of a just this baseline financial security throughout the season but it also you know it's more than a financial commitment it's sort of uh, uh, what I want to say sort of like a, a relationship builder community exactly builder. so they the CSA members can uh, get to know each other through uh, when they pick up their food. Mine actually mm. CSA members come and pick up their weekly boxes of produce at the farm, um, so they so, can see what's growing at the farm, perfect. see how the farm changes week yep. to week, and they can meet each other if they happen to be there at the same time. Right. So you're Which, you're you're servicing pretty much the neighborhood around you then. That's the idea. So mm-hmm. usually, most of my folks that have signed up for the CSA are either living or working in the neighborhood or nice. in the general vicinity of northeast portland yeah. so and it, the, and i i might add that my neighborhood the cully neighborhood is sort of an interesting place for urban agriculture there's a lot of big lots um Ooh. still left so i have a half acre lot that's about one block away from my farm which uh-huh. is a whole one acre lot right um 
So between the two, it can actually do a decent amount of production. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not a serious farmer. I'm a serious educator, but we have a quarter acre here at the Urban Farm and right in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona, and I grow a lot of food on a quarter acre. Oh, yeah. You really can. It's amazing yeah. when you get into sort of this more intensive type of, of gardening or agriculture, yeah. you know, how much food you can get out of it. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, so I went from 12 CSA shares when I started to uh, the last season I did it, I had about 40 CSA shares. Nice. Congratulations. That is, that's, I know it's a lot of work, but it's also really cool you're doing that. Yeah, thank you. It's it's fun. Um, it's it goes from May through the end of November, and mm -hmm. uh, you know every week people get a a smattering of diverse, high quality produce, produce from yeah. their neighborhood. So cool. So tell us about your work with the Rogue Farm Corps. Right. So this is a job that I picked up about a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, it's part time, so it still allows me to farm my own farm, mm -hmm. and. The Rogue Farm Corps is a nonprofit that started in Southern Oregon about 10 years ago with a mission to create, uh, well, help train the next generation of farmers. Um, and the reason that that is needed is because there's a lot of older farmers out there. And mm -hmm. the average age of a farmer, I believe, is about 68 in this yep, country. Something like that, exactly. And it just keeps getting older. Yep. And if you can imagine, all that land that they're stewarding is going to change hands. You know, in the next five to ten years, yep. I think they, um, the estimate is about uh, maybe 25 to 50 percent of all farmland is going to change hands. Yes. And that's a lot of acres. And if you can imagine if we have uh, trained young farmers being mm -hmm. trained in sustainable agriculture practices, being willing to get into some of those opportunities, what a huge, huge. Uh, change right. in our yeah. food system we can have i'm sitting so, over here i'm sitting over here just shaking my head yes 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 <laughs> yes yes um yes yeah it's so necessary so mm -hmm. um you know obviously that land is going to change hands to somebody um so we want to make sure that there's uh, people trained in ecological techniques that um can have the ability to steward that land well so that's the idea, and we do that through on-farm internships with existing com commercial farm operations mm -hmm. who are already using ecological or organic or very sustainable practices. And right. we work with farms producing livestock, uh, producing vegetables, fruit, seed farms, perennial herbs. Um, it's all in Oregon, and we have four geographical chapters, one mm -hmm. in Portland, one in southern Oregon, one in Central Oregon and one in the mid Willamette Valley around Eugene. Wow! So I'm the Portland coordinator, and I uh, had our first season in the Portland chapter last year. We had five host farms up here, and we had um, we had eight interns go through our program last year, and they they work and live alongside these their host farms. Um, Full time, and then in addition to that, we do a bunch of classes and farm tours for for them throughout the season. So wow. they get to see a lot of different farm operations in the area, and and then take classes from expert farmers, uh, extension agents, and other agricultural professionals to really help them uh, jumpstart their potential future careers into agriculture, yeah. or at least educate them in a really deep way about what it is to grow. A lot of good food. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of 
what, what I what I do part time, and then I still keep the farm going part time. And I'm I'm going to actually have to employ some people this coming season because I can't keep the farm going to the level I want it to just right. by myself on a couple days a week. Do you use the interns from Rogue Farm Corps? I don't because the way the program with Rogue Farm Corps is set up is that it's a really full time immersive experience. Oh right. And you have to provide housing, and I don't uh. really have. So I won't, first of all, be able to supervise them full-time, and second of all, I don't really have the housing set up. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Wow. So that's actually, um, for about the past year, I've had my thinking cap on doing something like that here in Phoenix, because you're right, that we have a a challenge in the coming, coming decades of running out of farmers. We do. We really do. And, you know, there's so many farmers that are, they're they're in charge of so many acres. I mm-hmm. mean, and in some places maybe that makes sense depending on what they're growing. Right. But in some places, I could see that perhaps breaking some of those larger farms into some smaller parcels that could be stewarded in a more uh, appropriate and ecological way because someone's paying more attention to the details of that land. Yeah. Um, so I think we need even more farmers than we have oh, now. Big time. So big time. Absolutely. So I'm going to shift a little bit here. I'm going to ask you a question about a time that you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what did you learn from it? Sure. So um, two things came to mind. One is, uh, t- these are both gardening-related perfect uh, things here. So uh, in my gardening experience um, and farming experience, you know, it's easy to let uh, the weeds get the better of you because you feel like you can you need to keep planting things for the the schedule. I have a crop plan that I work out in the winter and Mm -hmm. try to stick to because I have these production goals for the CSA. Um, I want to keep, you know, people with a diverse array of vegetables throughout the season. So I keep planting, I keep planting different things throughout the season. Um, But when you do that, you kind of, it's easy to say, well, I don't have time to go back and weed that bed. But Mm. if you... Do which I, you know, I've done for a number of years. I mean, I try to stay up on top of the weeds as much as I can. But if you do that and the weeds go to seed, you're just shooting <laughs> yourself in the foot for the next year. So, oh, that is I've the done case. That, you know, a couple times. Uh-huh. And now the weed pressure on my farm is way more than it used to be, and yeah. so I've learned a lot from that. I mean, I knew that it's always best to get your weeds when they're little, because uh-huh. um, it's easier. Uh, you can go through with a hoe really quickly and knock them out. They're right. the same plant as when they are two feet tall, as when they're like half a centimeter tall. It's the one plant. I mean, it's a lot easier to knock it out with a from a standing position with a piece of metal attached to a yeah. long handle <laughs> than when you're on your hands and knees yanking the same one plant out when it's two feet tall and yeah. about to spill seeds everywhere. So, mm-hmm. so you know, stay on top of your weeds. Um, should be just as much of a priority as uh, keeping your planting successions going um, and, and getting them when they're small. So yeah. that's one thing. I want to uh, stop you here, though, for a second. Yeah. Because that, that's, um, that's a great one to look at. What if we looked at that metaphorically? Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about that? Oh, well, The sure. metaphoric weeds in our lives. Yeah, I think... Um, well, any sort of little problems, little annoyances, uh-huh. little frustrations that you yep. encounter in your daily life, if you 
I mean, if you let it fester, uh, it can turn into a large frustration, yeah. right? Yeah. So and spill over into other aspects of our lives, and just way easier to nip it in the bud and address those things when they start coming when up. Small. Yeah. When they're small, yeah. Have you ever thought about here's here's a, just an idea? Have you ever thought about having a weed pulling party for your CSA? Yeah, you know, I do actually work with volunteers at the farm uh -huh. a bit. Um, I I started this partnership with another nonprofit, uh, Grow Portland, that. Um, does community farming drop-in hours. So basically, oh, they, uh, nice. they contracted with me to have these regular volunteer drop-in hours for the farm where anyone can show up and and I can plug them into farm tasks, including weeding, which is uh, definitely a big farm task, yeah. especially just certain times of the year. Um, but other things too, you know, transplanting, uh, harvesting, those are those, some Perfect. of the big ones. Perfect. And, and, and again, I cut you off. Uh, you, you said two things came to mind on the failure. So I don't, I want to make sure that we re revisit that. Oh, right. So the other one, um, one that I'm thinking about a lot from this past year, one of the things that I feel like I've learned is to really pay attention to, um, pest issues. So uh, oh, one yeah. of the pest issues we have up here a lot, I don't know if you have it in, um, in Arizona much, but is, uh, aphids. Oh yes. We have aphids on our kale. Mm hmm pretty regularly in the summer. Right. Um, and then this year was especially hot up here. We had a lot of white flies as well. Oh, yes. Kind of piggybacking on the mm -hmm. tail uh, that the aphids were already on. Yeah. So I am learning a lot around what options there are around um, sort of companion planting uh, flowers for mm -hmm. to attract beneficial insects oh, right. to yep. those plantings. Um, so one of the local other urban farms around here had a lot of success with planting. Um, oh, I think it's alyssum is another oh, uh, brassica yes. like yes. kale. Yep. Um, interplanting that in their kale beds, and they said in the kale planting they did that with there was virtually no aphid pressure. Wow. Uh, and then in the kale plantings they didn't do that in in the same year there was a lot of aphid damage. So, so that's something I'm I've definitely learned, um, and I'm going to be experimenting a lot with this. Fantastic. Kind of season. So what do you consider one of your biggest successes? Yeah, so I think for me, um, just creating this CSA farm that is part of how I make my financial livelihood mm -hmm. on a small plot of urban land to me is a large success. That's huge. Um, I, I say that's huge. That's That's amazing that you can do that and that you've done that. Yeah, and I'm not saying that I'm making a ton of money on it. I mean, there's, there's more successful farmers out there for sure, but I'm still relatively new uh -huh. farmer and I've been able to, you know, pay myself. Um, and right. that's, that's something to be said for that. Now I don't own the land. So that's one thing. And I have a very generous, uh, lease agreement with the church that owns the land. Right. So there's some things going in my favor, but I think that, um, just having this model where I can, um, help provide for my family uh, mm -hmm. with a with a business that I feel is really uh, ecologically sound, as well as uh, providing uh, increasing community and community food uh, security in my neighborhood. Yeah. So I I really feel good about that. I mean, it's a, still a work in progress, of course, yeah. as all businesses and projects are, uh, farm projects especially. But uh, I, I really. I love the work that I do and I, I feel good. I feel that it, every year it's gotten better in terms yeah. of what I've been able to produce, 
as well as you know the financial returns. So so yeah. that's that's good. And you know I don't mean to focus on the financial aspect, but I feel like if you're trying to make your living off of doing this kind of work, it is something that becomes a big focus. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, for better or worse, uh, right. it, it is part of the picture, and it's something to pay attention to. Well, and it has to be. I mean, we live in a culture where we need to make a living in order to get by. The 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 downside, however, to farming is that farming's not about making a lot of money. Right. I don't think. Um, you know, you work hard, you you live a fulfilling life, and you if you make some money along the way, yay. Yeah. So. Right. I mean, um, you know, and I think, you know, as a society, we'd be way better off if more people were just growing more of their own food, like I, I imagine a lot of your listeners are, and whether they're making any extra money off it is sort of beside the point. It's, you know, they're they're taking some of their, their need, financial needs out of the picture because they're providing some of that that they would otherwise have had to go to the store and buy. Right. And I think that is really the key to where we're headed. Now, in the meantime, and you know, into the future, there will there will always be people who won't be able to do that, mm-hmm. um, or won't want to for whatever reason. So there will always be a, a niche for you know farmers who are really providing a lot of food for other people, right? As well for yeah, sale, absolutely, or for trade. I mean, I do trade as well. I like yes. trading uh, things that I would otherwise go and buy right. for food. So yeah, perfect. All right, so. Deep question, what drives you? Like, what's your big why? Well, I think what makes this keep working for me is that I just really love the physical work. I love working with my hands. Mm -hmm. I love uh, the satisfaction of seeing things Mm -hmm. grow that I planted. Mm -hmm. I I like building things, you know, uh, sheds or trellises, getting stuff done. Like I mentioned before, I just really love that feeling of productivity. Seeing, Seeing, no pun intended, really. The, seeing the fruits of your labor, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly, and and then also, um, I also really like working with people and seeing myself grow through that experience, mm-hmm. and others gain knowledge and wisdom. I mean, myself and others gain knowledge and wisdom and experience through these hands-on experiences of working with the soil, working with plants, learning from people who have done this their whole lives or for a long time. I mean that's part of the rogue farm core part is is the more the educational aspect of what I love about this yeah. is uh, and like yourself you're an educator as well it sounds like so mm-hmm. this is really a, a big part of what why I do what I do as well is is seeing other people grow through these experiences is just incredibly gratifying to me yeah I'm all about education as you mentioned, and I have to know, is there one book that has been most influential influential for you in your life? You know, it's hard to pin it down to one. I, <laughs> I would say that uh, <laughs> the, the one that's that's just been on my mind for the past couple of years uh-huh. is The Intelligent Gardener by Steve Solomon. Ah, okay, I don't know good. if you've read that one. I haven't, but I'm going to go it's, look it up now. It's really a, a nerdy book about soil chemistry, but Ooh. for some reason... I just love that stuff. And mm-hmm. it it has a bigger picture to it. I mean, the reason it's all about soil chemistry is because it's all about growing nutrient-dense food. Mm, so important. not just growing food, but, but nutrient-dense nutrient food. food. Yeah. 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 So getting the 
the nutrition that we need as humans to thrive and be healthy in this world is becoming harder and harder because you don't know what the health of the soil was that that food was grown in. Exactly. So if you can have some control over that by growing your own food, yeah, you can really have an increased effect on your health and your family's health. And so he goes into a lot of amazing detail about soil testing and then analyzing those soil test results because if those nutrients that the plants need aren't in proper quantities in the soil, um, they're not going to be in the proper quantities in the plants and then they're not going to be in the proper quantities in our bodies. In it's body. all related. Exactly. It's just this cycle. Yeah. So he goes into an incredible amount of detail and then uh, way more so <laughs> than you could ever imagine about yeah. all that. So I, I love that book. Fantastic. And he's a great writer, and he, you know, the Growing Vegetables West of the Cascades is another earlier book that he wrote. Oh, but he's interesting. Uh -huh. Continued to update throughout the years, and that was probably the earlier one that got turned me on to him and his work. Cool. So, one final piece of advice for our listeners. I think, you know, starting small is always mm. is always good. So, or even if you have already started. Um, if you're considering expanding, expand small, do one thing at a time. Then mm -hmm. the thing you're most excited about, I think really makes a lot of sense. So, cause what you're excited about is going to, uh, you know, enliven your spirit and make you want to learn more about it. So, right. so keep things simple, small, start one, one or two things at a time each year. Um, and then keep, keep some records on those things. So to kind of track how you did. Yeah. Um, you know, what, whether it's planting and harvest dates, uh, harvest yields. I mean, those are the things that I think about, but depending on the person and the project, that could be a, a totally different kind of record keeping. But, um, but those are just an example. So, but, but, but keeping some consistent records really allows you to evaluate what you've done in your systems. Um, so that over time you can kind of, uh, increase your yields, your efficiency, and 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 just the general system mm -hmm. uh, improve the general system as you go. Perfect, perfect. So, thank you so much. How can our listeners get a hold of you? For sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so my farm website is Cully Neighborhood Farm. That's C U L L Y Neighborhood Farm dot com. And I have a blog going back a couple years with pictures of CSA shares and nice uh, recipes and. Uh, just stories from the farm days. Mm -hmm. um, my the nonprofit Rogue Farm Corps that helps train new farmers. If people are interested in having an internship experience, that's a really interesting opportunity to check out. We're accepting applications right now. Uh, that's roguefarmcorps.org. So R O G U E uh, Farm Corps C O R P S dot O R G, and we have a great. Uh, video that was just made that it kind of outlines the experience. It's a six to eight month long experience on a farm in Oregon. I mean, we have a lot of farms that we work with, so so it's it's definitely something for folks if they're interested in having um, a really immersive full time experience for a full season on a farm that's doing some great sustainable wow. agriculture work. Uh, I would encourage folks to check that out. And I'm the Portland chapter coordinator, so I'm. Uh, Matt at roguefarmcore.org is my email address there. Fantastic. So just an aside here, if somebody was living somewhere not in Oregon and they wanted to come in from New York or 
Japan or from wherever that that's this program is set up for that, right? Yeah, um, definitely. We get applicants from all over. Um, we do have people from all over the country who apply and get accepted to positions. We do. We have a opportunity to work with another organization to accept international applicants, mm -hmm. um, but they do have to go through a program called MESA. M E S A. Oh yes, I know to, somebody on the board. Okay, yeah, so they they can help get uh, the visas and all the legal requirements right. figured out. So yeah, no, it's it's a great opportunity. You don't have to be from Oregon; you can be from wherever. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Matt. It's been a treat getting to chat with you and hearing your experience around CSAs and urban farming and the like. Thanks so much, Greg. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.